Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 131 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about curation or personal knowledge management as a follow-up to our previous episode on Evernote, the great information collecting and organizing tool. In this episode, we realized that we are overdue for a conversation about iPads and the current state of tablets in general. The third edition of Tom's iPad and One Hour for Lawyers book was published earlier this year, so we thought we should get some of Tom's latest insights and look into the crystal ball a bit about tablets. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be talking about tablet computing and, I guess, whether the iPad is still a must-have device for lawyers. Uh, In our second segment, we'll discuss what it takes to bring a great tech tip into your everyday practice. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our on our first segment, and that's tablet computing, and I guess specifically iPads. We're going to talk mostly about iPads, but I want to talk about just tablets in general. I, I've been taking a look at the latest results, the 2014 ABA Legal Technology Survey, um, and specifically about how uh, lawyers are using tablets and mobile technology in general. I, I, I don't want to give a ton of survey results. We're going to come out with some reports later that, that people can read and people can look at. At. But I did think that some of the findings and some of the responses were really interesting, revealing, and I think that they're they're worth mentioning here. So, Dennis, I guess that you would prefer to take more of an interview format for this show? Well, I think it's good to treat you as the expert, as the, the leading author on uh, iPads for, for lawyers. Um, and plus, it makes this podcast a bit easier for me if all I'm doing is asking you questions. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, let's let's go that route. I, I did want to start with the the note that when I'm doing a little research myself, that it seems like maybe last fall you started. To, I first started to see stories about uh, the surveys and stats about tablets outselling laptops and and maybe tablets outselling laptops and desktops together. So I I think that we're at least close to parity, if if not reached the point where tablets are selling more new uh, it looks like in the surveys time is that is that what you're also seeing and and uh, I, I guess that really has significant implications uh, in terms of of how people are and it says a lot about how people are buying uh, computers and why we see so many people with old uh, desktop PCs on their desk I think it does, although as we're going to talk about in just a second, it really is not translating to the legal world as as much as it would be in the rest of the world. And to the extent that you're seeing those stats, I think that, that we're still seeing a rise in the use of tablets. I, I've seen some statistics that show that tablet use is going to rise another 30 or 40% this year among individuals. Um, and I think that 
for the general population and for people who are still using this primarily as a leisure device, um, I think that there are certain uh, professions that can make use of a tablet device much uh, much better than uh, than the legal profession can, or at least it's it's easier to let me back up and say it's easier to make that device a laptop replacement, uh, where it's harder to do that for lawyers to replace a laptop or a desktop. I was um, uh, this past week had our air conditioning serviced and the, and the, the, the service person who came over worked entirely from a tablet, which makes complete sense. It doesn't make sense for, to have that person carry around a laptop. And so I can see where, um, I can see where that, it makes a lot of sense in a lot of other groups. But I, I do think that, and, and, and the survey results have kind of borne that out, that, um, that lawyer use of tablet, uh, while it increased and shot up for a number of years, it really, um, it really kind of has plateaued a little bit. It's not uh, exactly the same as I would have expected it. Dennis, is that, you know, I'm going to go into a little bit more of the survey results in a second, but is, is that in line with what you would think about how lawyers deal with technology and tablets in general? Well, I guess when I see the stats, um, I, I think that a couple things leap to my mind. I, I think that a lot of people say in the consumer area, and especially for kids, and what I noticed recently uh, with with older people, and and I guess I can still use that that term for for people older than me, but say say of of parents' generation, or in my case, my dad's generation, I see, I see more use of the tablets, and it makes a lot more sense for them to, than I was talking to my dad about whether he should get another desktop computer or just use the iPad he has. And and, it's, and the tablets really do a, a lot there. So with lawyers, I see a couple of things. One is that it does seem like lawyers really kind of over-focus in some ways about needing to have Microsoft Office. And so I, I think you hear a lot about talk about Windows Surface tablets and other things specifically because of the Office thing. I also think that with some law firms is still, I think they've slowed down their buying of of newer computers so it's harder to get laptops and and new desktops so sometimes tablets will sneak in there but i think there's a tommy right there's this sort of reservation about whether uh, because i think people lawyers do tend to think that the laptop or the the tablet is going to be a replacement for a laptop or desktop which to me has never really made sense. So that's my feel for it is that probably lawyers do uh, lag a bit behind the curve. Um, but I guess you've had some visibility to some survey results. Is, is, does that intuition that I guess I have and probably other people have, is that sort of borne out in what you were seeing in some of those early results? So here's what's interesting about the survey results. Um, over the past three years, four years, I think since 2011 is when I started measuring, uh, I think when the survey first started asking, do you use a tablet computer in your practice? Uh, back then, I believe that the number was 15% in 2011. And last year, it was uh, it was triple that. It was 48%. It only went up 1% this year. It's only 49%, which is why I'm sort of thinking that things are... If, if not plateauing, they're at least slowing down considerably, considering the fact that it's gone up 30% in the past three years. Um, what's interesting, though, is when you look at the other question, there's another question in the survey that says, um, 
when you leave the office, what mobile device do you prefer to use? And when you ask it that way, the question is is really still much more in favor of the laptop. The laptop gets around 47% of the vote, and the and the tablet comes in at a distant third. 15% of lawyers um, prefer to still use a laptop, and I really put that down, excuse me, a, a tablet, and I, and I really put that down to the fact that it's tough for lawyers to make the case, and I and I have the, the, the same trouble to make the case that, that an iPad really can replace everything that you do um, as a lawyer. And, and I think that, like you said, Dennis, um, um, you know, the, the, the lack of a of an word processing suite or an office tool really is one of the major reasons why that most lawyers are kind of hesitant to give up on something like the laptop. Now, when we talk about... Uh, the platforms for the tablets that people are using, then it's really no contest there. Um, you know, last year, uh, iPad had, or excuse me, uh, the iPad, the Apple had 90% of the market share among lawyers. This year, there's actually been a decrease. They still have a very commanding lead. 83% um, are using iPads, but I mean, it was a 7% decrease in one year, and that uh, was, was picked up by both Android, which now makes up 10% of the market, but really the, the, the the, the up and comer is Windows Surface. It only has uh, a 5.7 uh, percent uh, market share, but when you consider that last year it was only around one percent, that's a pretty big jump. And I think it's uh, it has to do a lot with the Surface tablet coming out in, in, in finally a format that lawyers and consumers in general can find that uh, is intriguing and usable. And and I think that for lawyers, the argument that you can have full Word and full Excel full all the applications that you want on a tablet device, I think that's very appealing. I think that um, it, it's still not enough to, to get them you know, above even Android, but I'm going to be interested to see what happens to that over the next year or so because I, I think that the survey was taken right around uh, you know, the time after the new Surface tablet came out, and so I think it's early days yet on, on whether lawyers tend to be using that as much. I think iPad though still kind of rules the, rules the roost in terms of uh, market share at this point in time anyway. Well, Tom, I've, I'm not a litigator, so the idea of compound questions doesn't bother me. So let me ask a, a double question. <laughs> Does the reception of, of this book and, and the uh, seminars you've been doing on iPads recently indicate that this is still such a hot area for lawyers it has, as it's been for the last couple of years? And what's new in this edition? I can talk about the sessions that I give on the, the iPad. I know that we have a, we both have a lot of friends who also present on the iPad. I don't know what attendees to those to those presentations will say, but I find you know when I, I do a quick survey at the beginning, I find that the number of attendees um, are, of, of people who are trying to decide whether they want to get a tablet um, is, is actually relatively low. If I ask them uh, who doesn't have one but is thinking about it, you don't get a lot of hands raised. What I get most hands raised these days are, I have a tablet, but I really want to know how to use it better for my practice, which I think is kind of interesting considering the fact that um, one of the other survey results that I left out was that that there was actually a slight downtick this year in the amount of lawyers who are using tablets for productivity-related things. 
editing documents, looking at email, looking at their calendars or contacts. There were certain things that you would think a lawyer would want to do with a tablet. And there was a very slight but noticeable downtick in that where, on the other hand, there was a big uptick in using a tablet for the things that everybody else uses it for. Instant messaging, text messages, even using an iPad as a camera had a huge increase this year. And I thought that was really interesting. But but I think that that we're not seeing, I think the iPad is still hot, but it's hot because um, the the days when people uh, are kind of, they're, they're over the angry birds and surfing the web and checking email, and they really want to find new ways to be productive with it and use make better use of it. Because even though we've been doing this for a number of years, I think most lawyers still aren't aren't using those those devices to get the, the 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 most use that they can out of them now the book is really just a, a, a refresh of, uh, of the, the previous two books. Every year, Apple introduces new features. There will always be new iPads. And we want to make sure that people who are buying the book for the first time are reading about the latest in case they've gone and picked up an iPad Air or an iPad Mini with Retina Display. Um, need to make sure that the book covers the latest hardware, what those changes might be if there are changes. I think that the main issue Issues that uh, that that this book talks about that are really different would be the uh, the new features in iOS seven, the notification pane, the control panel, AirDrop is a new feature. Um, I, I included you know a chapter on things you can do with Siri, how you can make Siri work better for you as a productivity tool. Apple added a ton of accessibility uh, changes and, and improvements to the iPad this year uh, with, with iOS 7. So those were the main things that I talked about. It's, it's really designed as a book to help a new iPad user or at least someone who's been using it for a while just to do some very basic things. How can I use it better as a lawyer? How can I set it up to check my email, look at my calendar, get my contacts, get onto the internet and do research if I need it. How can I do some basic legal things, take notes, annotate depositions? Um, how can I really make this a productive device? And, and so it, it's not a terribly complicated book, and that's why this year it's mostly been really in, incremental changes uh, to reflect what, what Apple's been doing differently. I guess the question about technology books is always why why do you need a book when when you have a device like an iPad and 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 maybe another way to ask this question I was uh, recently sitting with a group of people talking about how first and second graders were, had been given iPads uh, at school and and took to them like like kids take to to iPads these days so why would people want a book instead of just going to the nearest eight-year-old or even three-year-old, it seems like, today? Because they seem to have uh, using an iPad down to a science. Well, certainly the eight-year-old is not going to tell you what the best note-taking app is for lawyers or what the best trial presentation app is. Um, it's not going to talk to you about the different ways that you can be productive on the iPad. That's not going to happen. I think where your eight-year-old comes in handy is in showing you how to change the volume or uh, adjust minor settings. It's probably not going to be able to help you. You can actually do some pretty interesting things in the accessibility settings to help make it 
it more useful to you where it'll speak every every uh, email that you get and it'll speak it out to you um, it'll it, although Siri will do that too you can have the accessibility settings do it as well and I think that that although um, it probably wouldn't take long for an eight-year-old to go in and look at all of that information there's a there's a lot of things uh, about an iPad that uh, that eight-year-olds aren't using it for and I think that's the main difference is is that we're having you know lawyers uh, needing to use the iPad for something different than what an adult uh, an eight-year-old would use it for and and that's really what the book helps to it it helps uh, it, it helps be that resource to help them do things that uh, that lawyers need to do um, and it also is designed to help be that resource because at, you know at some point the eight-year-old has to go to bed and the book is always going to be there as your friendly companion to, uh, to 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 answer questions and to be that little checklist if you need to go back and and figure out how to do something because there's a lot of people who still need that with respect to the iPad. Tom, my my sense for myself is I'm probably on a two year refresh cycle on uh, iPads, maybe three years for for some people, but I suspect two years uh, feels about right on these devices. Uh, what's your sense for both the refresh period and and what lawyers are typically using? Are they using the newest devices or working with older ones? And uh, you know, what's is this? What's a good time to upgrade an iPad? It's kind of hard, based on the seminars that I give, to know what a normal refresh cycle is, although I suspect that that in most of those seminars, you'll see a little bit of everything. You'll see a lot of people with the new devices, but you will always have, I will always have two or three people raise their hands and talk about how, well, I still have first-generation iPad, and why can't I do X, Y, and Z? And the, the reason is, is that you, because you have a first-generation iPad. Um, part, of the, part of the issue, and, and we're getting ready to see this with with the iPhones coming up, the iPhone four coming up with the release of iOS eight, is that I think Apple uh, and, and other manufacturers, but let's confine it to Apple right now, want you to stay on either a two or three year um, cycle to replace the hardware. I am I probably. Well, I probably replace mine much too frequently because I want to see what's new. But even if I wasn't, I'd probably still do it every two years rather than every three years because I think that three years is really the the outside and the longest for what for how Apple supports its devices through its operating system. I think they've said that iOS eight will not support the iPhone four, and I don't think that it's been three years since that's come out. If it has, it's been just at three years or somewhere around there. So um, I think that that makes sense. Um, I think that the two to, that two to three year cycle um, is really where I'm where I'm seeing making sense to to get rid of things unless for some reason you have a desire to uh, to change devices more frequently because they still do come out with a new one every year and we expect that they'll do the same uh, coming up here we think in September. So I, I guess that sort of is is uh, what a lot of people are interested in today uh, is looking to the fall and what's what's coming up in in iPads and, and you know all we all we hear are rumors at this point but certainly there's been what you hear is I don't hear anything earth Shattering. Although I think the the thumbprint sensor is totally cool, but I, there is some talk of a, a bigger format. Is about the only thing that I've really been able to put my hands on in in rumors. I don't know, Tom. As you've looked at the evolution of the iPad, maybe things you've heard. What what might you expect uh, that we'd see in the fall? 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think you're right. There, there really hasn't been a lot. There hasn't been really a lot more um, rumors about the type of iPad that'll be released, other than the fact that they're talking about, uh, you know, the larger what we'll call what we're calling the iPad Pro. Um, that it would have a much larger screen than the 10 inch or 9.7 inch screen that the that the iPad has right now. Maybe a, a 13 inch or a slightly bigger screen, and they're talking about how that may be useful to people who need a bigger screen to to school students to others. But um, you know, it's the, 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 right now those are just rumors. I know Apple's trying to quash those rumors, but I think it's going to be a very interesting to see whether that uh, whether that winds up. You know, I think it's interesting to consider when they are the bigger rumors and the, the more reliable rumors show that they're coming out with a larger version of the iPhone so um, it really wouldn't surprise me if they came out with a larger iPad it would make sense that they're trying to uh, appeal to people uh, who wanted to have uh, I mean I think that this would would probably make it a little bit easier to, uh, to to justify having a tablet over a laptop if you had a little bit more screen real estate wouldn't change the functionality any but um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they come out with something big. That's really, I'll say, that's the only big rumor that I've heard about the iPad so far uh, uh, before before September. And so there you have it. It's exclusive, late-breaking news from the Kennedy Mile Report. We're really not sure what's going to come out this fall. Exactly right. <laughs> um, you know, a question I, I often hear about iPads is, uh, and, and I have the Wi-Fi only, but I, a lot of questions I get is, should I just buy the Wi-Fi only, or do I really need that mobile connection? Connected iPad, and again, Tom, what's 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 your feeling on that? Obviously, it depends on the individual to a certain extent, but uh, I can certainly get by with the Wi-Fi. But what do you see people typically, our lawyers typically doing? Well, you know, I see a couple of different things, and and again, I think you're right. It depends on the person. It depends on what their needs are. Um, for me. I didn't want to have another mobile data plan. I've got my phone. I've got the data plan through that. I didn't want to have two data plans that, or, or, or let me say three, because I've always used a MiFi card. I've always had a wireless card that would help me connect to the to the internet, no matter whether I was using a laptop or a tablet or anything. And so that's what I use. And I and I just get the Wi-Fi only as I use my MiFi card. Now I know a lot of people these days have started to actually tether, uh, use their phone as a tethering device and tether um, their iPad and use the, the, the wireless connectivity that, uh, that, the, that your smartphone has, I've just never been really that impressed over the speed of my phone to be able to do it. Um, I've always found that my, my, my MiFi card has, has been a lot better than that. But I, I think it really depends on whether you find yourself in areas with wireless more often or whether you need to be in places, whether you need to access um, the internet when you are in places where you wouldn't necessarily have that ability. So uh, if you're on a plane and you need to, and the plane's getting ready to take off, or if you're, you're, um, you know, traveling at the beach and you and you need to get online and you don't really have any access to Wi-Fi when you're out on the beach doing something, that may drive your decision about whether you want to get a data plan or not. I, uh, I think may, probably like you, um, tend to be only in places where I can either get to a wireless uh, connection or I've got my MiFi card. So that's why it made sense to get the, the, the Wi-Fi version with me, but it's really going to depend on, on the use that people are going to want to make of it and really where they happen to be and, and whether they're going to need that connection at all times versus just when they're in a Wi-Fi area. 
Tom, I know you occasionally uh, do presentations where you debate with uh, the Android tablet users and the the Windows uh, Surface tablet users, and and you mop the floor with them in every presentation. <laughs> but but yeah. there is a little bit of a debate out there. It, do you have any sense of of much movement? And to me, it's it's still that you know the iPad is the tablet of choice, but. Maybe you could summarize some of the reasons somebody might look closely at one of the other platforms. Well, obviously there's been some movement because 7% fewer people are are using uh, the iPad this year versus uh, either Android or Windows Surface. And and with with Android, that uh, the, the reason for that is, is that you want to use something by Google. You want to use a platform that's infinitely customizable, that's very powerful, um, that uh, I, I think there's a lot of advantages to the Android platform, and, and I, I, I'm very happy with my phone. I just don't happen to like it in a tablet device. Clearly, as we've discussed already, the, re- the main reason people want the, uh, the Surface tablet is, is to be able to get full versions of Microsoft Office or other applications on a tablet device. And I think that's really a driving factor there. Where I come back to why, to me, the iPad is still the superior device is that is, is, is in the realm of legal apps, is that if you want to do legal-specific things on a tablet device, the developers are still only primarily developing for the iPad. And that's where you'll find the apps that uh, make the most sense for lawyers. Uh, people will say, well, I can go ahead and, uh, and, and try a case in court using the, the the fancy tool like Sanction or Trial Director. Why should I buy an iPad and I can use a slimmed down version, something like TrialPad? And and my answer to that is is that if you're going to use Sanction or Trial Director, you're not going to be able to do it by yourself in court. Those programs are very powerful, and a lawyer just can't do both: try a case and run that software at the same time. That's what makes the iPad a more ideal replacement for the laptop in the courtroom is because the software is just easy enough is just it's powerful but it's easy enough so that you can use it without affecting your ability to try a case at the same time and i think that's really the ipad's greatest strength is is aside from the fact that it just works it's that it provides a lot more advantages to lawyers in terms of the legal apps that we see that are out there Okay, and then this let me put you on the spot. Let's consider to the extent there is such a thing as the average lawyer and they're going out today to buy an iPad. What are you telling them to buy? Well, that's a hard question because because functionally both the iPad Mini and the uh, and the iPad Air are functionally identical. There's no difference in their specifications. They have the exact same size. They have the exact same speed. There's there's absolutely no difference in terms of how you would use them. The difference comes down to whether or not you want to have a bigger device or a smaller device. My recommendation for most lawyers is that it's hard to do um, trial presentation to do other things on a mini, uh, especially if you've got big hands. You want all the real estate you can get to manipulate exhibits and other things on the screen. So I usually recommend an iPad Air. And, and, and the larger, the better, because you never know if you're going to want to put videos or depositions or audio files or other large files on there. So I tend to go towards the 64 uh, gigabyte and and maybe even the 128 if you're bold enough to do that. Well, Tom, I, your book is, is available at the ABA Bookstore, and it's also available as an iBook uh, in the iTunes store, which is, I think, a great way to get the book because it actually sits on the iPad that you're using. You want to wrap up the segment? 
Yeah, I'll just say that um, right now it's available in a bunch of places. It's available in the ABA bookstore, both in print and ebook format. Uh, like Dennis said, you can get it at the iBook store. It's a little bit cheaper that way. Uh, and, and again, you've got it on your iPad. It's also available in the print version at Amazon. So a number of places where you can get it. Um, and I hope you like it. All right. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. One day last week, I saw several people pointing to articles with titles like 15 or 21, great things you probably didn't know you could do with your iPhone. We also go to and present 60 tips in 60 minutes presentations on a regular basis. In the articles I saw, and each time I see a tips presentation, I see great new ideas and and a lot of times seem to revisit ideas I've seen before that I can actually remember uh, back to when I was first thinking that they would be great and when I heard about them earlier. Got me thinking, Tom, about what it actually takes for a great tip or idea to make it into your regular tech routine. Have you experienced the same feeling and, and what does it actually take to take a tip and turn it into practice. I have experienced it. I mean, if you and I are anything alike, we, we do a lot of reading every day. We look at the latest news. I'm seeing lots of those articles. I, just like you, saw the 15 great things you didn't know about the iPhone. And unfortunately, I know a lot of the things about the iPhone when I see it because I've seen those. But, but there'll be some articles that come out where there'll be handy tips and things to use that, um, that really are handy, but that I just never wind up using. And I think I've narrowed it down and I'm going to make this it's very short and sweet and simple, uh, which is that um, I'm only going to turn this into my regular routine if the tip is squarely on point with a current need that I have. If it's something that I'm using, you know, and you know, one of those iPhone tips is uh, I think you can hold down the, the home button to get burst photography. It'll shoot a whole bunch of pictures all at once. And I thought, wow, who cares? I, I'm not ever going to use that. But um, I will tell you that there was at least one or two of those tips that were things like, oh, I've been wondering how I need to do that, and now I know. And and it, it, that's really how it works out for me, is that if it satisfies a need that I have to either be more productive or to fix a problem that I've been want, trying how to fix and it's a way to, to do it, um, then that's, that's the way to guarantee that it's going to become part of my routine and part of my practice. Does that differ for you? I, I think that that is a piece of it. So for me, I think that the repeatability and volume are also two of my things. So it has to be something I do over and over, often enough that you know, changing the workaround that I'm using, and this is especially true of like when people talk about, oh, here's these keyboard shortcuts. Well, if I don't 
do that very often, it's not a big deal for me to use a mouse and drop down a, a menu. But if I do it on a regular basis, so I, it's something I'm repeating, and I say, here's an easier way to do it, and it's and I do it often enough, it sticks in my memory, then, then I'll do that. Um, so I think it's that, so sort of two things that kind of go together. So it's something that I'm doing over and over again, but I do it over and over again a lot. And so I think that that... You know that's the sort of thing that will happen, and then also I think it has to be enough of an improvement because I know there's, for example, there are ways that you can do the 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 great paste special thing to put in unformatted things, and you can actually redo the regular, you know, Control V for paste, so it's you know it does a paste special, and you can do some other things, so it it defaults to that, but. The fact is that if you are only doing the paste special like a couple of times a day or you know a couple of times a week, that it's not a big deal to go paste special, drop down the options, pick what you want because it just doesn't isn't taking a lot of time. So, so I, I think there's it's sort of all those things. There's a problem that you want to overcome or something like, hey, it'd be great to do, or you just realize that your workaround to accomplish the same thing is just so clunky that this tip is an elegant solution. So combination of all those things but it is really interesting how many times i found myself saying oh that's great that would be really helpful and then it never makes it into the rotation now it's time for our parting shots that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends tom take it away so talking about a tip that is going to find its way into my routine because it is identifying a need that I have, um, I use the Kindle app on my iPad to read books and I will frequently highlight lots of portions of books and keep those notes um, if, I've, if I'm going traveling and I want to highlight specific things. Uh, the problem is, is that in my opinion, Amazon doesn't make it very friendly for you to uh, to go and find those notes. They're all in one place. I remember once I tried to, to copy and paste them all out. They actually have uh, digital rights management around that that will only let you copy and paste a certain amount to another area. But being able to have access to those notes, I, I just don't find it very friendly on Amazon. And then I read an article, I'll put the links in, link in the show notes, but I, I read an article um, that just brought, uh, brought the, the solution in a very brilliant and very simple way, which is go to your notes on Amazon and then use the Evernote web clipper to take a, a, a screenshot of it and to, and then now you've brought it into Evernote. It's going to be fully indexed and searchable. So you've got all the books and all your book notes being fully searchable in Evernote. Um, problem solved. So I'll uh, I'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes. It's and it has now solved my problem with Amazon Kindle books. And so I have one that short, sort of goes against what I was saying of how. It's something that I would implement because I hope this is not something that happens repeatedly and in volume. But from the great How To Geek uh, blog, here's another one I really liked How to Remotely Track Any Lost Smartphone, Tablet, or PC. And it's this great summary of the sort of Find My iPhone type apps uh, that allow you to f- locate where you might have left or are lost an iPhone or tablet. And what's great about this is that um, it, it tells you how to do it for all the different devices and platforms all in one handy place. So if you're an IT person who's supporting a lot of stuff or you're in a family with a lot of different devices, this is great. I think it's one of those tips where you, you see the value of it 
you know, because if you lose something, it is nice to know whether it's you can locate it. It looks like it's in your house or the last place you were at, or it's in some place where you can realize that it's it's stolen. So I th- I think this is a great helpful thing, and it's one of those things you just set up at the beginning, and when if you ever have the need for it, it's really great that you've had it. So uh, it's not something you need to do every day, but it's certainly worth doing once, and this is a great handy place to see. What, how to do that, and what, what all's out there these days. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, will be on our show notes blog at tcamreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can also get to archives of all our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question you want answered or an idea for an upcoming podcast, please email us at tcamreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating this podcast or writing a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.